0: welcome to the mastering the game of life podcast in this podcast there'll be insights around three key areas to mastering the game of life purpose prosperity philanthropy your host paul Lowe, the third sector mentor is the founder of hearts global cic which along with many other of his charitable commitments has been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives particularly young people from disadvantaged communities Author of Mastering the Game of Life from Pain to Purpose and speaking from our hearts books. Introducing your host, Paul
1: Lowe. Welcome listeners to this Mastering Life podcast episode, where I'm very pleased uh, to be welcoming a lady called Deborah Meredith. And Deborah's gonna talk to us today about a given title Doing Whatever It Takes to Create Your Blockbuster Life. Welcome, Deborah. Hi, Paul. So, what a, what a sensational title. Do you want to give us a little bit of an insight into that, um, into that title?
2: Well, the title comes from two books I've written. The first one being called Whatever It Takes, Living With, Leaving and Surviving Psychological Abuse. And the second one, Create Your Blockbuster Life, How to Step Out of the Wings into Your Spotlight. But it was only after writing them that I realised they merged rather nicely together. So that's why you've got that title.
1: Right. Okay. So, do you want to give us a little bit of a background, uh, Deb? I know we've spoken off here, so I've kind of got um, you know that that uh, general insight. Uh, but certainly for the benefit of the listeners, that little bit of a background, as as you know, around those bo- those first two books um, and the merits of those, and then obviously more to the point, the uh, the amalgam that is going to be your third book. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. I mean, Whatever It Takes was the first book, and it started off with me just writing out my memories, if you like, of abusive relationships. Unfortunately, I had managed throughout life to make some wrong choices and ended up with two abusive marriages and a third abusive relationship. Yeah. And part of sort of overcoming those and dealing with all of that and therapy if you like was writing it down and i've always been a writer so for me it was just therapy mm. and in amongst that was also a backdrop in my second marriage which was psychologically abusive and that's been very much in the news recently with the new domestic abuse bill that's gone through parliament in recent weeks um which includes coercive control so that suddenly put what i was doing into the spotlight and um I started writing about my relationships and the backdrop in my second marriage was that I also started a business when my son was three months old because I decided I didn't want to um, be a working mom only seeing my son in the evenings or very early in the morning. And I created what became a UK industry leading business and was very successful. But my ex-husband, as he is now, was unemployed at the time and decided he was going to become a house husband and then help me in the business. And if you read the book, you'll see all of the little nuances of coercive control and psychological abuse that I was subject to, but didn't realize at the time I managed to build this somewhat um, successful business. But at the same time, I was being ousted from motherhood. And when I spent time with my family, I was being told that I couldn't spend time with the family because I had clients that needed me. And if Mm. I was doing work on my business or working for clients, I was being told my family needed me and I was also always spending time on that bloody business. Mm. So I was in a no-win situation. However, as you do to keep a roof over your head, you plow on regardless and you pretty much do whatever it takes. And that's where the title came from. I just kept saying to myself, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make all this work and to make it right.
1: Yeah.
2: And unfortunately on New Year's Eve, 2008, I went to pay my staff. I had a team of staff at the time and there wasn't enough money in the bank. And I realized my business was insolvent and I was left with no choice, but to make my team redundant with immediate effect and no pay. All right. And when I told my then husband what was happening, he looked at me and said, well, I told you this would happen. I don't know what made you think you could run a business. I also always knew you'd, you'd mess it up. I was going to say something worse than that then. Um, <laughs> and I realized at that moment that what was my second marriage was over. Mm. And it still took me quite a while to leave because I didn't want to leave my son. And I had to put the business through administration. And I eventually left about three months later, three to four months later, um, because I'd been completely cold shouldered by my husband, um, you know, the the name calling, the criticism, got to a level where I thought, you know what, I don't need to deal with this. And then he stopped talking to me completely and ignoring me as I walked into a room. So it wasn't a healthy relationship. It wasn't a healthy position for me. And it certainly wasn't healthy for my then three-year-old son to witness this going on. Mm. And the day that I left, my son, aged three, turned around to me and he said, "Mummy." why are you crying? And I realized at that point that that was the phrase I heard most often from my son. And I thought this isn't right. Mm. I have to do something about it. It is not right for a three-year-old for the phrase that's most often trips off his lips to be, "Mummy, why are you crying? And so I just packed my bags and left. I didn't know where I was going to go. And unfortunately for me, I left my son with his dad because I had no reason to think there'd be any issues. And I said, once I got myself sorted, I'll be back for my son. Unbeknown to me at that time, and I learned to my cost numerous times later, that one action had been me voluntarily giving up my right to be my son's primary carer. And I then had to go through a 10 year legal battles um, to try and get my son back. And it took 10 years. And I'm pleased to say he's now living with me and he's a very happy little boy. Well, he's not so little now. He's 13, almost 14. (laughs) And he towers above me. So he's not little, but I'm his mum. He's always going to be my little boy. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's very aware of what went on. But through all of that, you know, I went through the abusive relationships. I went through the successful business the failure of the business and making a team of staff redundant is bad enough when it happens to yourself when you're responsible for other people's livelihood and you have to do that to them that hurts a lot Um, i went through personal bankruptcy and i ended up for a while living back with my parents and managed to find myself somewhere to live eventually having found odd jobs but being made redundant from each of the next three jobs i was able to get Um, They lasted about three months each on average and I was made redundant because the companies were restructuring and I was the last one in, so totally understood it. But at that point, I'd ended up in a position where I'd found myself a nice little flat and I thought life was good and bang, in 24 hours, I was redundant once more. I had no savings. I had a flat that my parents had been guarantors on and I couldn't make my rent. I had no income, I didn't know what to do. And at that point, it was my absolute lowest point and I decided to end it all. And as I was sat with a bottle of vodka, having already consumed a bottle of wine and a number of piles of various drugs that I happened to have in the kitchen cupboards, paracetamol, and who knows, old prescription drugs that we all stockpile at some stage. I was about to take a handful of these mixed drugs swill it down with the vodka, and I caught sight of a picture of my son and realized I couldn't do it. Mm. I couldn't possibly leave him in a position where at 14 years old, which is the age he's, he is this year, um, his father would be saying to him, your mummy killed herself because she didn't love you. Because those were the messages my son was getting from yeah. his father. Mummy left because she didn't want you. Mummy left because she didn't like you. Um, which was absolutely far from the truth and that's when i said to myself you are going to do whatever it takes to look after yourself and look after your son and that's when that coin from, that phrase for me was coined and i also told myself that everything i had been through up to that point there was no way i was going to have gone through it in vain and i was going to do whatever it takes to ensure that nobody has to be in that position again. And if they are, they never have to feel quite so alone. So that's pretty much where the book came about. And over time, as many of us who are interested in self-development and personal growth will know, you start to change your life. You hopefully start to make positive changes, positive choices. And I realized that my life was changing for the better. Although I made another wrong choice in terms of relationship it was better than my previous two my previous two marriages and I was in a fortunate or seemingly fortunate position where I didn't have to work so I thought well what do you really want to do and my lifelong dream had been to become an actor and at the age of 19 I'd turned down a place at RADA um do I regret it? No. Do I look back now and think, oh, if only I had done that, what a stupid thing to do. But I have no regrets because I have a good life.
1: Mm.
2: But, you know, I turned down my place at RADA because my first husband had proposed to me. I was 19 years old and I thought I can't possibly be away from him for three years. So that's where my journey started to enable me to write these books. But thankfully, at the end of it i became an actor i got my equity card at the age of 42 and did some professional acting work and got paid for it so that was great but then realized that the relationship i was in wasn't as good as it seemed on the surface i didn't have to work i had everything i could possibly want great house great lifestyle fabulous wardrobe of clothes he bought me a car but i wasn't happy mm. i was absolutely suffocated and ultimately, I was being controlled because I was being given an allowance every week, which sounds fantastic, but I was having to account for every single penny I was spending. So if I didn't spend it, I had to give it back, and then I'd get another allowance the following week. That then meant that I couldn't save any money for a deposit on another flat or anything else. If I went out without him, I was being told, Oh, don't you love me anymore don't you want me why why do you want to go out with your friends you should want to spend time with me you love me um so it was a very suffocating relationship and eventually i left that because one day it got very very nasty i got locked out of the house then i got locked in the house my car keys were taken away from me um it was a weekend my son was staying with us and i got locked out of the house whilst my son was in the house then he locked my son out of the house and me in the house and it got very, very nasty. I got very, very scared. So I just left, managed to get my son left. Um, But looking back, I mean, that was some six, seven years ago now, I realized that yes, I had done whatever it takes, but in doing so I had managed to create the life I wanted. And I'm now living in a different town in a lovely house. Um, you know, it's not a big house by any stretch of the imagination. I'm living with the love of my life who I'd first met 20 years ago. Um, that, therein is another story, which I won't bore you with right now, um, but we're reconnected. And I've never been happier. I probably have much less materialistically than I've ever had in my life, but I've never felt so happy or so content. I have my son with me. He's very happy and content. One thing I always said when my son was born and it was part of the reason for setting up my business all those years ago, was I wanted to give my son a private education. And whenever you think about private education, that was one of my goals. Well, I was able to do that by getting myself a job in a private school, which enabled me to get a staff discount. So I realized that I might not have done things conventionally, but I had managed to achieve everything I wanted to achieve. And I continue to do so. And when I was writing the second book, I thought, well, it needs to be a little bit more joyous. It doesn't need to be a sort of, down, if you like, as whatever it takes. Because a book about psychological abuse doesn't really excite people that much. You know, it's an interesting story, I guess, if you're interested in the subject, but it's not one of those books you think, oh, got to read that. That's going to be a really good read. I can't wait. It's going to be full of fun and laughter. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: Whereas Create Your Blockbuster Life, I thought, really spoke to me achieving my dream. I've always been passionate about the theater. I've done drama, amateur drama, since the age of about 12 or 13. And then I got my equity card, and I thought that really, to me, spoke to me. Um, my blockbuster life is my life on my terms. And that's how I've always viewed success. Success on your terms, whatever they may be. You know, it's we don't all want the big house and the designer wardrobe and the fast car and the millions in the bank. Some of us just want to be able to have a nice house where we go home. We can have a nice cup of tea sitting in the garden each evening. Um, you know, we can go on holiday when we want to go on holiday and we can do the things we like with the people we love. And I thought that's what this book has to be about. It has to continue my story, but share what I did to create that. And obviously in a sort of 20, 30 minute podcast, I can't go into detail. But, you know, I I went through lots of different steps and stages to get to where I am now. And I've never been happier. And that is the most important thing. People now are so, they're pursuing happiness because we've forgotten what it is that makes us happy. And the majority of time it's those really simple things. It's being surrounded by people that we love, that people that we trust, knowing that we're not going to be harmed physically or mentally by the people who were the closest to us. Knowing that when we come home, we're quite safe and secure that, you know, we're able to do what we want. We're able to go out for a meal when we want to. We're able to go to the cinema without sitting there scra- scratching around looking for the pennies. I mean, you know, I can remember a stage where I really was struggling to buy a pint of milk and a loaf of bread to feed my son. Um, so, you know, I've been there. I know what it's like. So to be in a position now where, you know, I can't be frivolous with money, but. I don't have to worry too much about it. And if I want to buy a book, if I want to go and get my hair done, if I want to go for a meal, go to the cinema, I can do, you know. And it's it's about just sharing with people that you can go through this major adversity, but actually mindset is what changes it for you. And you really can create your blockbuster life, and that spreads across all areas of your life. And for me, I always whittle it down to four, and that's your health and wellness, your finances, your career or your business, and your relationships. And you know, we're really sociable people. You know, the human race—we're sociable race. Our relationships are vitally important to us, whether we're in a intimate relationship or not our relationships with family with friends they're the things that are important you know how we get on with colleagues in the workplace we need to be able to sort of end the day thinking that was a good day and i worked with some good people i there's some really nice people i can talk to and that's what it was about for me really knowing that i'd done whatever it takes to create my blockbuster life and get myself to a place where i felt actually quite content and all of those four areas of my life are in a place I want them to be
1: excellent and my ears pricked up there Debs when you you alluded to the uh, the, the four parts there because um, <laughs> I've, I've got an approach and it's it's a construct um, mm-hmm. I suppose what what most people would call a model um, but it's I call it the how model and I'll I kind of Semi-averse to using the term model because that suggests that by following this model it will sort everything. Well, it won't because that's you know we're all individual we're all unique. But I think there's certain pillars in life that are paramount in our uh, in our you know in our progression and certainly our happiness. Um, and they are I mean mine are summed up in three, but essentially what you've just touched on there. And I call it my how model for uh, H for health, O for others brackets relationships and w for wealth because i think with those three pillars in our life to varying degrees we can make choices around those pillars and what we're going to prioritize um you know you've you've said on more than one occasion in this uh, in this conversation deb about the fact that you know you might not be a multi-millionaire s but you're happy and and that exactly. is i mean what price do you put on that what price
2: that's it. You, you can't put a price on it. It is completely priceless. And for everybody, their happiness depends on different things. You know, some people might like making model boats, I don't know, or, or, um, you know, sailing model boats, other people might need to do something a bit more daring and, you know, throw themselves off cliffs and go up sailing every weekend other people might want to sit at home and knit mm. or bake cakes. You know, I just, I, for me, I don't get baking at all. I get highly stressed by it. <laughs> but I know so many people who use that as a way of switching off. Mm. And they create these exquisite masterpieces that they spend hours over. Um, and that makes them incredibly happy. And, you know, our levels of happiness are determined by the things we enjoy and the people we have around us. And it doesn't matter if what makes us happy is anathema to other people. It's about what makes us happy. Because when we are happy, our energy improves. We obviously release that good energy. We yeah. attract energy back, you know, without sounding too woo-woo. Um, but you think about the law of attraction and what you think about, you bring about and all of that. It's written in so many personal development books. Mm. And you hear about it all the time. And it really is true. If you walk into a room and you're in a bad mood, you will instantly sense the mood in that room drop or yeah. if you're happy in the room and somebody walks in, in a bad mood you will notice the impact that has on the room of people it's very subtle but you'll generally notice it and you know once we're aware of things like that we can start to make those minute changes that improve our outlook our mindset and ultimately you know our relationships with others and our happiness in the end
1: yeah because you know i think when we, when we ball everything down and you know obviously now is not the time or place to dig too deep mm-hmm. on that you know that ultimate question who am i and what's my purpose you know why am i here what's the purpose of life but for me and at the risk of massively oversimplifying it well who am i that that's a different thing and we we you know we could be here for for days and weeks discussing the philosophy and the meaning of that one <laughs> Uh, that's another time, another place. But certainly that that happiness element for me is the purpose of life because by being happy, we can be productive, we can have that, we can leave a positive legacy, we can support people, we can love people um, because that that energy, which you quite rightly allude to, Deb, comes from within. And we emit that. Uh, conversely, we can emit that fear if that's the world that we live in. So I think that's a very... simple but very stark distinction on on you know what after sort of nearly uh, six decades on this beautiful planet that i've managed to deduce from my uh, extremely challenging journey and people say well you know you've gone a bit woo have you gone soft and you talk about love and my response to that is deb i can still get the 10 ounce gloves on if i need to but I choose not to because that world, unless you're doing it professionally for a living, is one that is dominated by fear and darkness. And so if that's how you perceive me to be, that's absolutely fine. But I tell you what, if you care to dig a bit deeper, you'll actually find that that my world is very happy. And surely that has to be ultimately our life purpose, because then we can give to others. Exactly. OK, Deb, um, what I'd like to do now by way of sort of summarising. So if you'd got a message to the masses, um, you know, I'm kind of putting you on the spot to, to <laughs> I suppose, um, you know, condense and, um, you know, not dilute, but distill that massive kind of colourful that myriad of experiences and emotions that you've mixed into, you know, the last few minutes. Um, mm-hmm. What would that message to the world be?
2: Um, well, first of all, without being too cheeky, it would be come to the event I'm running on the 9th of April in Western Supermare, putting relationships in the spotlight. I'm <laughs> sorry, Paul. No, that's um, fine. No,
1: that's fine.
2: Genuinely, it, it would be look at the relationships around you. Um, you just touched on and spoke about life's purpose. And I've realized that for me, it's about ultimately helping survivors of domestic abuse to cre- recreate their lives, rebuild their lives. But it's not just limited to survivors of domestic abuse. It's actually about looking at the behavior we exhibit in all of our relationships, the language and behavior we accept from others towards ourselves, that we use ourselves towards others, and the self-talk we give ourselves. And when we look at that and we change that to be positive, then we can have a positive change on all of the relationships around us and in modeling that behavior we can then hopefully teach younger generations to model behavior and attitudes that are more accepting more giving more loving and not all about me 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 and working in a school i see quite a lot of young people who have quite an entitled attitude at the moment and which seems to be a bit, bit of a pandemic in sort of recent generations but with just a few tweaks and a few changes in the nuance of language and behavior we can have a massive impact on generations to come and it's not going to happen in my lifetime but it certainly happen um you know in future generations maybe my my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren's generations. By just being conscious of those slight tweaks in the way we behave towards others, the behaviour and language we accept from others and modelling that behaviour, we should never underestimate the impact we can have on other people.
1: Absolutely. And that's um, that's paramount or been certainly very, very influential in in an approach I'm Um, And I say I not from a, and I say that from a point of love, not from an egotistical point of view, but going to facilitate and coordinate and bring, you know, great minds and people together um, from all walks of life on something called the Mastering Life Movement. Now, I've never mentioned this before. This is actually, and I didn't intend to, so this has come out. You know, we talk about living in the moment. This is absolutely in the moment because to encapsulate that what you've just said there is absolutely the way forward, you know, to create that legacy, to leave the world a better place. Um, and that is, you know, yet yeah, again, that is not some woo-woo, nice, fluffy, lovey-dovey, hippified way of being. It's a stark reality of life. You know, as, as as a lot of people, and certainly me and you, can can testify to, because the alternative, as you know, as we've spoke about, is darkness, is despair, and you know, and all that negative toxicity and, and and fear, and it's just no, that that's that's not a life; it's barely an existence. So exactly. you know, for me to to pick up on what you've said, uh, and I use the metaphor of you know, kind of dropping pebbles in in, in ponds mm. with that ripple effect. You know, mm-hmm. that has to start somewhere. And I believe that somebody and you know has to have that, that dream, that vision, that, you know, as Steve Jobs says, you know, the people that are crazy enough to to think they'll change the world are the ones that will change the world. And you know, I believe that by some of the great guests um that that come on this podcast, um on these podcast episodes and share their experiences, and sometimes they're very painful and but they, they, share, they share them for the betterment of others. And I believe that by creating something akin to a Mastering Life movement, by collectively uniting and sharing these ideas and sharing our hearts, do you know what? We will leave the world a better place. Completely. Couldn't agree more. So finally, Deb, how do people contact you then?
2: Well, you can contact me. The best place is via my website, which is www.com notarehearsal.co.uk
1: yeah, and, I and
2: think- on that website you'll be able to find details of my books details of my events um detail of various media appearances um and all sorts of things so that's where they'll find me notarehearsal.co.uk
1: Um, for the benefit of the listeners and and please don't take this as I hope this doesn't come across as patronising but don't make the mistake I made when spelling rehearsal (laughs)
2: shall I spell it for you Uh,
1: if you can please uh, Deb, yes please Uh, uh,
2: it's n-o-t-a-r-e-h e-a-r-s-a-l dot co dot uk
1: superb, thanks thanks very much for for sharing that uh, Deb, that's um, that was that was obviously very very insightful and and the only thing I can say, listeners, is, you know, to to echo Deb's sentiments about happiness and uh, you know we do have that choice and uh, don't settle for second best. Don't. It's not worth it. You know, in a human form, you know, we're on this planet for a very very relatively short time. So let's enjoy it. Let's be happy and let's radiate that warmth and love and and pass that on and that energy throughout the world and leave it a better place. So until the next time, listeners, thank you for your attention. Thank you for your presence. And
0: remember, keep mastering life. Thanks for listening to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. Drop a line to paul at paullohearts.com with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at paullohearts.com or any of his social media feeds under the same name. Remember, mastering life starts by embracing our hearts.